Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. going through a sermon series, and it's titled The House of Prayer. And each Sunday this summer, we're going to look at different prayers in the Bible. And as we look at these prayers, the hope is that we, the congregation, those that are visiting, watching online, that we would catch just a little bit of these prayers and that our prayer life would become like those. When we read and study these prayers, Our prayer is that you also and myself would develop a hunger and a thirst to pray like these prayers ourselves. Jim Cimbala, he wrote that prayer is most essential thing along with faith found in the Bible. But where there is prayer, there is real faith. Corey Timboom, she asks, she says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? As we face the struggles of everyday life, we must keep faith strong. And the way that we keep faith strong in our life is by fueling it by prayer. I've been asked to bring Hannah's prayer this morning, and we find Hannah, her prayer in 1 Samuel. And I would say Hannah's prayers, as in plural, it's in the Old Testament, it's right after the book of Ruth, and historically it comes after Judges. Judges is a name, is a title given to a book named after a bunch of interesting collection of individuals that led Israel after Joshua died. And they raise up a king after that, and Samuel ends up being the last judge. At this time in history, the nation of Israel is in a time of national decline. Despite the promises that they made to God, that they would follow him and their covenant. That's in Joshua 24, 16 through 18. The people have turned from the Lord and begun to worship other gods. This is a time in history that's marked with social, political, and religious chaos. (laughs) Sounds like we're talking about today. The last verse in Judges 21, 25, it says, In those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I don't know if you know it or not, but there's always been a king. We know his name is Jesus, but we don't recognize him much. So those days are just like today, or we're just like those days. I'm sure that people living in those days, 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years prior to coming of Christ, that they would think, what's going on? What is going on around here? Everything in the world is upside down. But I can hear people today say that. And you might even said that yourself. Some things never changed. I don't know if you know this or not, but the next political person in office isn't going to fix things. God is amazing. And in the middle of all this national dysfunction, the spotlight of Scripture is focused on, on 1 Samuel, on this family and their circumstances, a certain man. Now, God can do anything he wants, how he wants, and when he wants. But his normal method of ministry is to find a certain man or woman and work through them. Samuel's the last judge, and his story begins in the hill of Ephraim. 
It's at a place that they call Ramathium, and it's near Shiloh. I'm going to read 1 Samuel 1. And there was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophar, and in the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Alkanai, the son of Jeraham, the son of Ehud, the son of Tofu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one of them was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from the city to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to her sons and her daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As soon as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk, in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and Eli, the priest, was sitting at the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on my afflictions on your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her for a drunk, a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the Lord of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that your words, that your words today would sink deep into our heart, Lord God, that this prayer in our life could make a difference. Allow me, Lord, to help bring clarification and not confusion, Lord God, this morning. As we walk through this passage, Lord, make it clear. Please, Lord, prepare hearts to receive you and what you would have for them. I pray this in your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Lord, bless your word. Please allow me to help bring clarity. That's what I, I really hope. Probably when I began thinking about this message, I probably asked the Lord to help me not look stupid. But then I thought, wow, that's all about me, and it should be more about the Lord. So my prayers changed as it got closer to today. And I'm praying that I do the, the scriptures justice. 
This certain man is named Elkanah. He has the descendant of Zuth, and his family is shown to be a Levite. In 1 Chronicles 6, 16 through 30, he's called an Ephronite because his family lived in a Levitical city that was in the boundaries of Ephraim, not because he was from the tribe of Ephraim. I know it's confusing. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children and Hannah had none. The Bible more than often in our Bible studies and we're looking, polygamy, especially in the Old Testament, seems to be something that we have to deal with. It's never presented in a positive light and it always leads to problems, just like it does in this case. Polygamy was always and still is a sin, even if it's a sin of ignorance. You can read those in Matthew 19.8 and Malachi 2.15. In the ancient world, polygamy was probably something norm in many cultures, but in the Jewish home, it was not. But there was a Jewish custom or law that if your wife was unable to provide you children, in some places it said a, a distance or a time of 10 years, that you, you would take a second wife. Some believe that this was an obligation for Elkanah, and this is why it's believed that Hannah is his first wife. Barrenness in the Bible is a real problem. When a woman was unable to give birth to a child, it was difficult because children were needed in order to ensure the family and the economic survival. And the family business depended upon these children, and then also the aging parents did too. As we start 1 Samuel, the fact that Hannah is unable to have children is a very important part of what God is going to do. God reaches into this family, and not only will he impact this family, but he will change the course of the Jewish nation and all of the world. Do you think that Hannah would sometimes say that, Lord, why me? Why is this happening to me? I don't understand. But it goes way beyond Hannah. And I believe that the things that go on in your life goes way beyond your own self. We see over and over again that one person can make a difference. So who would thought that the answer would come in a form of just a little baby? Now, if you're here this morning, and if you ever wondered if you fit in anywhere in the big picture of things, in the scheme of all the stuff that's going on, I hope that you find encouragement and you see that you do matter. You're not just a product of chaos. I pray that you believe just like Hannah did, that God is the responsible for the existence of the whole world. And God gives men life and breath in Acts 17, 25. Hannah believed in God, the creator. And this is why she was having such a hard time with her situation. If she had believed in a random universe, then she would think that these things were happening just by chance. If she didn't believe in the Lord of the universe, she would have no one to pray to, no one to talk to, no one to ask why. But because she believed in God, a God in heaven, a God who was control of everything, she had to face her barrenness year by year. She knows that God could provide the healing, the healing that she longed for. And people say that sometimes year after year, Time heals things. But it seems in Hannah's case, it just got worse. I know that there's, here, that there's some here today that would agree. 
They, you know the pain, and this may be your testimony. So they go back to Shiloh. Elkanah was a man who followed God, and according to the law of Moses, he would bring a sacrifice to the temple and to the priest, which they did at Shiloh because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, it tells us of the three feasts that the men had to go to the temple to bring their sacrifices. Unleavened bread, weeks, and booths. Each year they had to go up three times from what it said. So it doesn't mean that he just went up year by year. It went one time, but it did mean that he went up every year. Elkanah would go up to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. Lord of hosts occurs 261 times in the Old Testament scriptures. God is first called the Lord of hosts here in Samuel 1.3. The Lord, capitalized, refers to Yahweh. And the word host is a translation of the Hebrew word Sabaoth, meaning army. So this refers to the angelic army of heavens, Lord of hosts, the Lord of the armies of heaven. The NIV translates this Lord Almighty, but maybe a better translation if we read it in the NLT. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at this time were the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas. Eli's two sons are probably mentioned here because they were known to be wicked priests. You can find that in 1 Samuel 2, 17 and 24. Even though the priests were wicked, Elkanah still offered sacrifice to the Lord, knowing that the wickedness of the priests did not make a difference on his own service to the Lord. It did not make his service invalid, regardless of what the priests did. As I studied here, there wasn't a consensus on which feast this is. But most likely it was a feast of booths or better known as tabernacle maybe, which at the time is a time of rejoicing. And because he gave a portion, it appears that this was a peace offering. Because in a peace offering, the greatest part of the offering belonged to the owner. And he would make a feast with his family. You can find that in Deuteronomy 12, 5 through 7. A sacrificial offering made in order to assure communion with God. Exodus 20, 24, and Leviticus 7, 11 through 18. Each year, Elkanah brought his family to share in a meal with the Lord. He brought and gave portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. I see it as him saying, here you go, and here's yours. Here's some for you, and here you go. And then he comes to Hannah, and he gives her a double portion. And it was because he loved her. But he was just trying to help. He's trying to be a nice guy. But I think because he gave her a double, double portion, it just made that things worse. She had no children, and she wasn't eating. Two times in two verses, it says, the Lord had closed her womb. I'm sure people thought that the Lord had forgotten Hannah. Sure that they thought that she was cursed. And now at the time when he was giving out portions and Elkanah was giving out portions, I could just see Panina looking in a resentful and disbelief. And she's looking at her husband, and she says, are you kidding me? I don't believe it. I know you love her more than me. I just, I just know you do. And then she would turn to take a glance at her rival, Hannah. What are you thanking God for? You can't thank him for anything. I think he's forgotten you. You don't even have any kids. And this went on year after year. Now, Hannah knew that the Lord was in control, but she was having a hard time with her heart, a hard time with her heart and her head catching up. The dilemma that she was going through when she understood that 
God must have a purpose, but her theology was correct, and she knew that she had a conflict between what was going on in her life and what she knew of God. She knew that God wouldn't forget his own, but yet at the same time, she had a real difficult time reconciling that. You may be here today, and this might be exactly where you are, in your spiritual walk, wanting your heart to catch up with your head and what you know. And there's also people that know it in their heart, but their head just can't figure it out. Hannah could not enjoy the display of love and favor that her husband showed her with the double portion because of the other woman, the rival, the provoking, and the conflict. It is very possible in each of our lives that problems at home would make it difficult to have a good time at church like we should. We could come to church, the house of God, and be miserable. Hannah's at the house of God. She has a double portion. It's sitting in front of her, and she can't enjoy it. We know this is beyond Hannah's painful trial. There's a purpose. We know that. God is going to accomplish something great in her life. But at the time in her life, she only knew the pain of infertility. Hannah did not have access to her favorite verse, one of our favorite verses in the Bible, 828. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, in true form, just like a guy, Elkanah makes an attempt to fix things. Hannah, why do you weep? She looks at him, you big dummy, like you don't know where you've been. And now he tries to shove the other foot in his mouth, and he says, why don't you eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I, am I not more than ten sons to you? And she says, why don't you just take a long donkey ride on a short pier? Are you serious asking me these questions? Man, now I don't know if there's anything he could have said at this time. I think it would just be better if he kept his, kept his mouth shut and just gave her a hug, right? Hold her. But I know he shouldn't have said, am I not more to you than ten sons? In other words, saying, am I not enough? I should be sufficient. This is insensitive and the wrong response to her sorrow. This is more about him than it is about her. Most men, we don't really realize at first that we can't fulfill all our wife's needs. And we shouldn't. We can't fulfill her desire to be a woman if the Lord has closed her womb. Now, what he should have said to her is probably, Hannah, you are more to me than ten sons. Guys, stick that away somewhere. You might need it. But if you're anything like me, I remember what I'm supposed to say right after I said what I shouldn't have said. <laughs> but what is clear here is Hannah needs to remove herself from the questions and the provoking. Hannah finally reaches a breaking point and decides to go and plead to the God for a son. She heads to the house of the Lord. She prays in such a way that no words are spoken out loud. Only her lips are moving and she weeps bitterly. She's at her wit's end and she turns to the Lord. That only he could help her. Only the Lord could provide what she needed. Only he could rescue her from her situation. Only God could open her womb. Year after year, she was unable to conceive. And year after year, Penina has provoked her. Although she wept bitterly, we don't see anywhere where she's seeking vengeance. And she 
also doesn't seem to have any resentment towards the Lord. That would be a normal response. And I could understand if she was just a little bit on edge. She was in great anguish. Yet she did the right thing. She took all of her feelings and she prayed honestly to God. In Psalm 6, David seems to echo these same feelings. He cries out, how long, O Lord, how long? I am wore out of all my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with tears and I drench my couch with weeping. Hannah prays to the Lord, and as she prays, she prays a vow to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. She felt attacked by her rival, and she went and called upon her protector. She promises her son to work for the Lord for his whole life. No razor should touch his head. This is like, if not a Nazarite vow, which normally has a time frame. You remember like Paul in Acts 18? Hannah says, all the days of his life, he will be yours, Lord, forever. If she prayed this prayer of only thinking of herself, she wouldn't have made such an extreme vow. And we might only have a summary of her prayer because in verse 12 it says, and she continued praying. Her mouth did not move. Her mouth moved, but no words. Her voice was not heard. One reason it's good for us to pray out loud is that if we hear What we're praying about, it helps us in focusing our thoughts. But a prevailing prayer or prayers with power and influence does not have to be heard by others. Praying with power can be silent and in your heart. A powerful prayer can be just in your heart. C.S. Lewis says that the prayer exclusively with the mind is a golden moment. But the moments don't happen that often due to the lack of mental and spiritual strength. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are way beyond our understanding. David describes our helplessness as ignorance, kind of like sheep, unable to fully understand. That's why we need a shepherd. We should be depending upon our shepherd. Hannah brings tears and sighs, her longings, which are all an expression of her sad heart. She brings them into the presence of the Lord. Psalms 5, 1 through 2. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cries, my King and my God. For it's to you I pray. 8.26 in Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in weakness. For we do not know what to pray. For what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Now, Elk and I was watching. And we are sure that the priest is going to be able to help. He makes an assessment. Eli is a father of two worthless sons, and he concludes that this is a worthless woman. What an embarrassing assessment of his spiritual insight. He concludes that she's drunk, just like the crowd on the day of Pentecost in Act 2. It's too bad when your pastor lets you down. You pour out your heart, and he just doesn't get it. As she reaches out for help, he accuses her of being drunk. He assumes the worst of her, and I'm sure this compounded her grief. She tells him she has been pouring out her heart before the Lord, speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. She is not a worthless woman. So Eli changes his course. Well, in that case, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you petition that you have made to him. And she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. 
She had brought her grief to the Lord. And before it was answered in a way that she thought it might, should have been, her attitude changed. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.